and welcome aboard the Battleship Retention. I am Scott Nye. I am David Bax. Uh, Tyler is not here. He's still out of commission, still um, on the long road to recovery. You can help him out, help him and his family out with their mounting medical costs uh, by donating to the GoFundMe. There's a post uh, pinned to the top of the homepage at battleshipretention.com. I'll show you how to do that. Uh, there are also occasionally updates on his status at the Caring Bridge site, which is my pinned tweet. But more often these days, he's tweeting and Facebooking. So you can follow him on Twitter at More Lessons or Facebook if you're if you're a hundred. Um, yeah, so that's what's going on with uh, with Tyler Scott. What's going on with you? What did you have to get off your chest? <laughs> well, I was just going to say, as long as we're on the subject of Tyler, I, I uh, visited him last Saturday, and then immediately after I left, he did two hours of unassisted breathing. So I like to say that I've you know had some great effect on his recovery. Okay, that's so funny because the last time I saw him, like immediately after, is when he was able to move his finger for the first time. There we go. The battleship attention influence strong. Yeah. Yep. Bringing that mojo yeah uh, uh all right um yeah. nothing to really get off my chest more uh a recent question that was posed in the various film twitter circles i'm curious to get your thoughts on um so how's film blue sky by the way uh very hard to parse so blue sky has an annoying thing that i can't seem to turn off where you not only do you see the posts of everyone you follow but you see all of their replies to everyone they reply to even if you're not following the people they're replying to and I can't figure out a way to turn it off. I don't know if there yeah, is one, really but hit us up if you're on Blue Sky and you know. Um, yeah. But it's also really give me an invite. I'm still not on Blue Sky. Blue Sky. I don't have any invites. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um. So on the on the film Twitter, somebody writing for the Guardian posted an interview with um, Claire Denis, who I guess stars at noon is just getting released out in the UK, so she's doing yeah. press there. Um. UK listeners go see stars at noon. Um, But the uh, person writing and conducting the interview and writing the article was kind of framing her as a difficult interview subject, which she is known for. Um, She doesn't suffer fools gladly. And I was curious your thoughts about contentious interviews in general. I tend to like them because I live for drama. Um, (laughs) But to me, like an interview is there to like reveal something about the person being interviewed. The feelings of the person doing the interviewing are immaterial to me. I just want to see whatever's on the mind of the person being interviewed. And that can be good, bad, ugly, whatever. Uh, Yeah, I'm... I'm a huge fan of, of, of contentious interviews in, uh, I mean, I love a Tommy Lee Jones interview, but I know people, I know people who have interviewed him who like hate him because he's like so rude to, to journalists. Um, but it's, it's entertaining to, um, to watch, uh, or to read or whatever, or listen to, and this goes outside of movies too. I also love a sports, uh, uh, difficult interview you know i love uh uh, uh combative um although i don't love his saying he would kick he would he would bench players if they kind of guy who has a uh, uh, strong opinions like that and then of course there is my favorite contentious interview in the history of sports um i don't know if you know who marshawn lynch is he's uh at this point, former NFL player. Okay. Um, he actually is getting into acting because he's in huh. the upcoming Bottoms. Uh, he's he's one of the teachers in Bottoms. Um, and uh, um, so he, so in between 
the final week of the NFL playoffs and then the Super Bowl, there's a week in between that they generally refer to as media week. And it's yeah. where the players and coaches are like contractually obligated to like be available at certain locations, usually where the Super Bowl is going to be held. There have to be there for available for interviews and for press conferences. And Marshawn Lynch hated doing it. And so he did a press conference during um uh uh, during during media week where he took questions and answered every question with the sentence i'm just here so i won't get fined but <laughs> he didn't just say that he also like he did it in different inflections every time as if he were actually thinking about it considering the answer you're like i'm just here so i won't get fined i'm just here so i won't get fined <laughs> it's one of the funniest interviews i've ever seen in my life amazing uh, and I'm, and I'm sure the people whose job it was to get quotes from Marshawn Lynch were like feeling stymied, but, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm, uh, uh, coming from the school of, you know, reading too much Hunter S Thompson, but like make that the story. Yeah. No, there's always something to write about. It's a journalistic malpractice. Just assume the subject's going to do it all for you. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for contentious interviews. I love, if I listen to, uh, if there's a podcast that I listen to regularly, there are two kinds of guests that I love on any podcast. I love the guest who's a fan of the show and knows everything that's going on <laughs> and knows all the inside jokes. And conversely, I love the guest who has no idea what the show is and doesn't care. Yeah. And is lightly contemptuous of the whole affair. Um, <laughs> yeah. I remember yeah. the first time and maybe she's been on since might be the only time, though, when Julie Louis Dreyfus was on WTF. Um, it seemed, I think it was like during the last or second to last season of Veep or something. And she's like, I guess podcasts are part of publicity now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm uh, I'm, all, I'm all for it. Yeah. That's it. All right. Okay. Well then, uh, let me tell you and the listeners about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. I use them each and every day of my life today. Um, I like to listen to, well, I like to listen to metal a lot of the time, but I like to listen to metal while I, uh, exercise in the morning. Um, and, and today I was listening to uh, a couple of bands, but I'm going to highlight a new sort of uh, stoner metal, doom metal uh, album. The band is called Gozu, G-O-Z-U, and the album is called Remedy. And um, it's very good. And it also, uh, for us movie fans, it has, uh, here are some of the song titles. Uh, Tom Cruise Control, Rambo 2. Nice. Joe down, but Joe down Baker, hello talk, and Ben Gazzara loves no one. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all titles from Gozu's album Remedy. Sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. 
We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, we're back. And uh, we've got uh, a loose but kind of serious topic. I don't know how you want to approach this, uh, but uh, let's get into it, shall we? Let's talk about the current writer strike. Yeah. And as an outgrowth of that, the pending potential actor strike, um, the DGA negotiations is really just the state of the industry in general. So the, the writer strike has been going on now for like six weeks or just coming up on that um, and has been pretty effective in shutting the town down. I just saw yesterday or the day before that they stopped filming all together on the new Daredevil series and the Penguin series um, at HBO. Um, and it, the big, uh, I guess, thing is different this time is it sounds like studios are really caught off guard by how many productions they're losing out on. They're not able to just coast on what stuff that's already been written and can just like prop up a show along the way, the way that they did, you know, we, those of us old enough to remember the writer strike of 2007 recall mini series that, or movies as well, that really uh, went through with their efforts probably shouldn't have because the scripts were so shabby during those periods. Um, but this time it sounds like they're not even able to get through with that. So um, hopefully that will bring things to a speedier conclusion. But in the meantime, uh, the town is definitely on the downturn. I haven't talked about this in the podcast yet, but I myself was laid off as a result of the strike. Um, and so a lot of people are all across the industry are feeling the effects of it. And, you know, as I'm cruising around looking for jobs, there's just fewer out right. there. Don't worry too much about me, listeners. Donate to Tyler. He's the one in need. Uh, I'll be fine for a little while. <laughs> um, I'm just taking it easy and watching way more movies than my uh, New Year's resolutions declared I would. But in the meantime, um, uh, there's definitely like a shift in the whole town. You know, the people I know who are still employed say that there's a lot more, a lot less work going around and everyone's very much on edge. Um, and it's a shame really, because what the writers are asking for is not too outlandish, you know, just kind of briefly recap They're after, of course, better baseline pay, um, not only for its own sake, but because that baseline has become more of a standard than before. I was reading up today that something like, Five years ago, if between five and 10 years ago, it was like 33% of writers were making the minimum guild wage. And now that's up to 49%. Um, so the, mm. the, the minimum has become more like standard. And so that minimum needs to be raised. Uh, in addition to that, they're seeking uh, larger writers' rooms for a series, um, as opposed to these kind of mini rooms that develop where it's maybe two to three writers, where a series used to staff seven to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, they're seeking uh, better residuals, which, especially in the age of streaming, is really hard to come by because nobody knows how well a series does and more on that in a bit. Um, and then they're seeking some protections around artificial intelligence. You know, studios want robots to write the scripts of the future. And all of these things are wrapped up in the potential for a DGA strike and an actor strike because everyone's really affected by a lot of the same things. Um, and it really is an outgrowth of the streaming kind of revolution all this stuff that seemed so exciting 10 years ago when Netflix launched their first uh, original series with House of Cards is now really coming back to bite people. You get much shorter seasons in the past. 
um, with smaller rooms and with fewer kind of protections in place where not only do you not get the backend residuals, but then as a result of that, you don't know how your product does. So when you go back around to the next season or trying to pitch your next project, you can't point to that and say, Hey, I created this great series or I worked on this great series that tens of millions of people watch because nobody really knows how successful any of this stuff is. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of this to me is like chickens coming home to roost of stuff that I was talking about back in like 2015 of streaming movies, not being real movies. And everyone kind of scoffed at that kind of notion um, and thought that that was kind of like old fashioned, but now it, it, you were seeing the real effects of that and how disrupting the, the industry hasn't created a better industry. It has created a more uh, chaotic industry, I would say, and one that is less serving to both the audience and to the artists and more, I think most importantly to the work itself. So that's a a long winded introduction. I don't know if you want to pick apart any part of that um, for the next wave to launch on here. Uh, No, I mean, the only thing I really want to pick apart is that I'm pretty sure the first Netflix original series was Lily hammer. Was that, I thought that was one that they ported over. Am I wrong? Oh, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. What about Hemlock Grove? Was that I don't before? remember what that is. That was Eli Roth's like um, vampire or no uh, werewolf series, but I don't know. Maybe that was also like a co-production or or an acquisition of some sort. But uh, anyway, see. Hemlock Grove and House of Cards are both 2013. I guess I could look at the actual premiere dates to see. So this is right now this is riveting radio yeah so we've got hemlock grove premiering in april of 2013 and house of cards in february so house of cards did beat hemlock grove so lily hammer was maybe a little bit of a testing of the waters i think so uh, but yeah that uh that feels so long ago now it um, was and it's yeah it's it's but it's interesting to to talk about the um previous writer strike because i also kind of had to uh i was working freelance doing closed captioning uh and it wasn't until the the writer strike was in 2007 but it wasn't until 2008 that it kind of caught up with as a freelance closed captioner like no one was offering me any yeah. work and i had to like change my career path which is kind of how i ended up where i am now and i hope i mean because i work in the industry now i hope i'll be um i hope it'll be safe from the fallouts of this uh burn strike but who knows um uh but yeah what's what's interesting is that so much of what i remember from the strike uh was stuff like um uh like didn't dr horrible sing-along blog came out of the 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 strike somehow right it feels like, right uh, but i'm not sure how that is if he was like striking wasn't he not supposed to be writing anything i can't remember how that happened well the deal with the strike is that like people can write stuff they just can't be pitching it to studios or like trying to develop new things so, okay. so he wasn't able to work on whatever he was working on so he stayed home and he wrote dr horrible's sing-along blog yeah right okay so like that and um Children's Hospital, if you remember, started as a web series. Um, oh, I didn't like, know that was uh, out of the strike, though. It was around that time. I, yeah. I, so I, I, 
but it's interesting to to compare what you were saying about like TV on the internet feeling not not the old podcast TV on the internet uh, TV on the internet feeling um, uh, exciting yeah um, and uh, now we're sort of uh, I guess reaping the benefits um, and and seeing that that the 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 fallout is not uh, as good as we thought it was which is kind of like I, I feel like. I feel like there's a certain amount of validation of like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy. Like, no one is making a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> but like they're spending a lot of money. They but sure. Like, are. I always think like there used to own there used to be this finite number of like channels and like there was a finite number of channels and then they only had so many hours in the day to broadcast and so there was like the amount of TV there could be. Uh, um, I'm just thinking more about TV here. Yeah. Um, the art TV that could be like had a cap on it and then suddenly it didn't. And I was like, was all this money just going to waste before? Like how, <laughs> how are they affording to spend so much more money? How much are they actually making off of subscriberships or in terms of like Hulu and, and, and things with like ad tiers and now Netflix has an ad tier. Like how much are they making off of ads? And it seems like they're kind of not making <laughs> Yeah, so that's the big inflating the bubble. Yeah, that's the big correction is essentially streaming has been running on venture capital money for the past 10 years. And that includes as studios have developed their own streaming wings, you know, whether it be HBO Max or Disney Plus or Paramount Plus or whatever else. Um, All these services are run on investors that got really excited by how much money Netflix was kind of making doing their thing, but which could only be diversified so far. Um, and the big problem economically with streaming is that it's a single revenue source that never changes. So whereas taking movies, for example, a movie would go into theaters, it would make hopefully a crap ton of money. And then it would make more money as you license it out to television stations and airlines and whatever else. And then it'd make a whole other set of money on home video, DVD, Blu-ray, and eventually Blu-ray. Um, and that model, you know, going back to VHS in the case of the video model, but that model was pretty stable and had stayed in place for what, 30 plus years, mm-hmm. um, you know, before then, before the video era, films were sold licensed out of TV stations or they played in repertory houses or frankly, they just made a lot more money on their first run. Um, but streaming doesn't have any kind of diversified economics. It has a subscribership that you have to talk people into staying subscribed for months and months and months and months in order to even start to make money. But there's no second wave for films to live on or for TV shows to live on. And that was the whole problem with like dumping the streaming series all at once and doing a big debut of like 13 episodes dumped overnight is you get a couple of days of chatter, but then it would fade. And then you don't get many people watching because people aren't talking about it. Um, I never understood that. That seems like, (laughs) again i feel i feel like some of the some of the stuff that's happened has been like very validating for me because i like question myself but it's sort of like uh to make a a very (laughs) drastically disproportionate um uh uh, comparison it kind of feels like how it seemed like common sense that iraq was not harboring weapons of mass destruction yeah and we'd like enough people were convinced that they were that we went to war on it. And I'd like just like a, a college student in Chicago, just like reading 
the paper reading the New Republic and being like the New Republic, who, despite being a left wing publication, backed the Iraq war, by the way, uh, reading and just being like, none of this is true. There's no (laughs) way. And then it's kind of validating, sadly, you know, uh, the cost of lives. But it didn't happen. And now I feel like when when like unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt would do a whole season at once and it would get four or five days of of chatter and then people would forget about it i would be like this is crazy right <laughs> yeah uh the iraq war thing not to go on a too long tangent on this but the iraq war thing is weird to think for me too because i was in high school at that time and i was like how did i know it was all bullshit <laughs> like <laughs> i i was like 16 years old i wasn't that smart you know i read some papers and listened to some talk shows and that was about it but somehow i it's, it felt like we all just knew like i don't get it yeah um yeah. and i mean uh, i guess it is kind of similar for streaming because i always just had a gut instinct that like nobody was watching this stuff and like i i think that's kind of bore out you know with the occasional exception of something that's really like a breakout success like you have netflix spending hundreds of millions of dollars on whatever like the gray man but like nobody there's nobody watching this and i've been saying that for years and everyone would be like oh but it's so much more accessible it's so much more audience friendly it has such a further reach and it it does but if no one's actually reaching out to meet it then ultimately like what's it matter um yeah i i i um there's yeah there's so many times that like netflix will recommend a series to me that I'm like, this is in its third season and it looks like it costs a million dollars an episode and I've never yeah. heard of this thing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, look forward to uh, mark your calendars for the season two premiere of Apple TV Plus's Foundation uh, next Absolutely. month. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was uh, another like super expensive like show that no one ever talked about, but they're making a second one. So. Oh, I know right now. I feel like every week I see a new article from Amazon trying to justify Citadel and the Lord of the Rings show and like talk about stuff that nobody is engaging with at all. Um, There is a a big, pretty comprehensive vulture piece that interviewed tons of like showrunners about like the state of all this. And they had some, a good bit from uh, Damon Lindelof who said when they're doing the Watchmen TV series, um, they played a game called like, is it a show? And they would describe a show top to bottom and no one had ever heard of it. And the joke was every time it was a show. <laughs> and these are people who work professionally in TV. Um, and yeah. it's just, it's an impossible array of things to keep track of. I mean, I remember that being true, even in kind of the cable days where things started to feel a little diffuse and a little bit like hard to keep up with. Like I know when like the shield was on and kind of the like mid two thousands coming into the late two thousands era, it was like, there used to be, there was a period before then when you could reasonably keep on top of, the important TV shows. And it started to feel at some point like you couldn't and, but you'd still kind of know what shows were out there and what shows people were watching. And now like, even that's not even true. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you mentioned that there are occasional uh, exceptions and I'm just, uh, I didn't think about this until you mentioned Amazon, but the marvelous Mrs. Maisel is like having its fifth and final season right now. And people are actually, it feels like it's a real TV show that people are actually talking about and have been watching for five years to me. Like, I feel like I, I know a lot of people who watch the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and, uh, are looking forward to the finale. Uh, that's, that's the rare exception. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go too anecdotal because it, that's like the one TV series I watch, um, oh, right. but <laughs> Which uh, I, I've never watched it, but yeah. it certainly does feel that way to me. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that, I mean, kind of the longer running Netflix shows like Orange is the New Black, that kind of felt for a while there, like it was a genuine thing. Maybe after season four or five, you could feel it kind of tapering off. Um, Certainly when it was on, you know, before his fallout, uh, Master of None felt like a series that kind of broken through in a modest way. Right, right. Um, Yeah, but these were all a long time ago. Now there's just- Yeah, it's true. What what is there now? What's left? Um, yeah, I mean, Marvel's Mrs. Maisel is ending. I don't know what else. Uh, only murders in the building, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that's um, a thing for sure. But uh, I don't know. I feel like we we said we were going to talk about the strike, and we're mostly just talking about streaming. But I guess they're kind of uh, inseparable. Yeah, they're pretty related. One element um, of the writer's strike I didn't mention that's more geared towards movies, and which I hadn't realized is as uh, pervasive as it is is the way that uh so when a writer gets employed as a screenwriter on a film um either to do an initial draft or to do a rewrite or whatever they'll get essentially a flat fee and then you know depending on their participation level i'm sure residuals after that theoretically if their studio math allows for residuals to actually come through there's a great like years long thread from ed solomon who wrote men in black who wrote the original men in black about like that Sony continues to insist that the movie, even after they made like four sequels, isn't profitable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's just been keeping this running for years. I'm like, oh, well, maybe next year. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was one where he was like, stop building sets. Yeah. We already shot the movie. <laughs> um, so that aside, uh, so the, the writers will get a flat fee, but that flat fee covers not only the initial draft, but any rewrites that the studio requests after that point. And that can be like a page one rewrite to do the whole thing over again. Um, so part of the strike is to guard against that and provide more uh, fees and revenue coming through as those rewrites are requested and probably depending on the volume of them. Um, so that's an area that not is not just streaming centric. And in fact, it goes back, I'm sure, decades into studio management and is really baked into the industry. Um, but yeah, it just... it the writers kind of got out in front of it with being the first to strike. It does kind of seem like the actors are potentially trending that way too. They had a huge strike authorization vote and tremendous support there. And that's kind of, that would be the real breaking point where like if the actors go on strike, you really can't make anything. Um, Even though ABC is already set their fall schedule to have no uh, narrative series. It's all reality. Um, But um the writers kind of got out in front of it and I think broke open a lot of kind of the unspoken conversations that have been happening behind the scenes about all this stuff, about how untenable and how unsustainable the entire entire model is. Um, One avenue that is kind of interesting that someone floated early on is that this is the first time these tech companies have had to come into contact with an actual labor movement because the entire tech industry is not unionized. Um, traditional Hollywood studios and networks are used to dealing with multiple unions, but Netflix isn't. And this is the first time they really had to kind of lock horns with them and realize the potential of a labor movement to upset their business. So I think part of the intransience in terms of moving forward might come from that as well. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We were talking so much about writers because of the writer strike, but um, you know, um, with the actors too, 
I, I think, and this, this, I remember making this argument. God, what's interesting is Tyler and I were doing this podcast during the last strike. That's how long Battle yeah. Pretension has been going on. Um, but like, when, when, when people, it's, it's sort of like when uh, baseball players went on strike or, or the, you know, um, the hockey players have, have gone on strike uh, more than once. They don't call it strike because like, this is a weird thing that in professional sports in America, the players try not try try to pretend like they're not in a union because they know that sports fans are like right wing anti union. I think that's okay. my that's my that's my guess because they say players association and they never use the word union. They don't say strike, but anyway, huh. um, uh, I think it's just all spin. But anyway, uh, what I'm saying is with the last strike, with this strike, you see like you know you see fucking like. Bob Odenkirk, you know, someone you see on TV, you see him on the, on the, on yeah. the ticket line, you see, you know, uh, you know, Drew Carey's buying people donuts and all this stuff. And it seems like it's a bunch of, I, I think the spin for those opposed to the strike is that look at these like whiny rich people, oh, like, sure, you know, but most of the people in the WGA are, are not wealthy or, are barely scraping by if, if at all, a lot of them have yeah. other jobs and stuff like that. And that's true increasingly. I mean, it's always been true with actors, but I think increasingly with the streaming thing, that's also true of actors. Um, I'm going to uh, paraphrase from uh, weirdly. There's a podcast. Everyone who listens to comedy podcasts knows what Doughboys is. It's one of the most successful podcasts. It's about chain restaurants, but they also talk about real shit too. Uh, um, it reminds me of many, many years ago when I still used to watch Bill Maher. Uh, Gary Shandling started, was a guest and he started his little like argument with uh, um, uh, the disclaimer. He's like, look, I know I'm, I'm a comedian, but in my spare time, things bother me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. So uh so the hosts of 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 Doughboys, one of whom is an actor, would, they were talking about like if you were a regular, there was a time if you got cast as a regular, um, or even an extended guest star on one season of a show, that was your year, you know. Yeah. But now with streaming, you could be on two shows within the same year and still be making, I don't know, you know the mid five figures like still a living but not like that's you'd have to work two shows to get to like the national average like yeah. household income these days uh so yeah you can see where why the the actors are are primed for this as well yeah for sure i i mean i just anecdotally like i look at shows and movies now and the frames feel less full than they used to it's like it feels like there's fewer actors that are given like a prominent line there might be some people walking in the background to kind of fill out the scene or whatever but it, it, everything just feels a lot smaller now you know i've been watching tons of like uh 90s movies and 80s movies that i kind of missed out on growing up because i was like i don't know too cool for so no the, the truth is i didn't really get into movies until much later i didn't have that phase of like as a eight-year-old trying to watch i don't know pelican brief or something like that um so i've been going back and watching like those kinds of movies i've never seen pelican brief but i was there was an age when i was like way too like none of my friends were watching dead man walking and i was definitely like <laughs> i gotta see dead man walking sure sure when it's having to, yeah but like you'd have all these like really busy scenes full of like people who pop up for a couple of lines 
or maybe have two scenes in the movie. And that just less happens so much less often now, you know, the feeling of the movie scale is so much smaller. Yeah. I mean, to keep getting back to TV, um, Natalie and I are obviously watching friends. If you know, our other podcast, it's called the one where I met your mother We watch friends and how I met your mother. And, uh, yeah, there was a, a similar thing where like, um, Phoebe, there's an episode where Phoebe and Monica are taking like a night class at the, like, you know, continuing education center or whatever, you know, and it's like, uh, Phoebe, Monica, the teacher, and then just a bunch of extras and like, they're not talking cause they're extras. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I kind of expect. But then there's like a tag at the end where they all gang up on Monica and suddenly all these extras like have one line a piece. And it did like, it did stand out to me that I was like, you don't, you don't see as much of that anymore, you know, but I guess, uh, friend season five was probably one of the most profitable shows in history. Well, sure. <laughs> so they could probably afford it, but it still seems less common. Yeah. I was thinking about like something I, I keep coming back to this movie as like an example of like middle brow should be a bigger movie mother regards, but that movie she said from last year, um, the, even like the newsroom stuff felt small. There's a, a, several scenes where they're in the lunchroom at the New York times. And it's like just the two principals in the scene and nobody else. It's yeah, like, you're right. You're where's right. this yeah. world? Like, or they go to a restaurant and nobody's there. They're in New York city. It's like dinner time. There's nobody at this restaurant. Um, it, the worlds just feel a lot smaller. And a lot of that is just like cutting back on every corner they can. Uh, yeah. I mean, is that, it, it, and then that's partially obviously um as uh adam conover has been one of the main like spokespeople for the strike and has pointed out the um insanely unbalanced like uh, uh executive pay or like, time. yeah like c-suite executive pay um uh it's so part of it is is that but uh, yeah part of it also might be that they're not making money on these movies yeah it could be but you know there's i i feel like they kind of shot themselves in the foot with a lot of this from the start of like licensing out titles to netflix in like 2009 2010 as though they were licensing them to a tv station and not realizing the viewing habits that they would change as a result and it's really too bad because like the model for what happened to the film industry or what rather is ha currently happening in the film industry was already in place in newspapers and music a decade prior. Like all of the th stuff that's going on with movies right now happened to those industries well before uh, the technology caught up where you could have reasonably streaming video. So they could have looked at what happened there and saw, mm -hmm. well, if we're just giving people these movies to watch, you know, for an $8 a month subscription, what really are they going to choose? Are they going to choose to watch something on demand or schlep out to the theaters to see something? Or if they do schlep out to the theaters, how many fewer movies a year are they going to see? What kinds of movies will they see as a result? Um, and how will that affect the industry long-term? But of course, no business is designed to think long-term. They're all thinking about the next quarter. quarter and so, yeah. yeah. Licensing out titles that they're just sitting on to Netflix for, you know, a few hundred, few thousand dollars, whatever it is, probably seemed like good money on the quarter, but uh, didn't realize they were cannibalizing themselves long-term. Uh, so what, uh, I mean, obviously we know what the writers and, and potentially what SAG want, 
But even if they get that, what does the future look like? If like if if this strike is exposing just how little money is being made off of off of streaming, um, are we going to see a drastic reduction in the number of streaming projects? Yeah, it'll be interesting. That's the part that I think nobody really understands or knows, most especially the companies trying to keep this wheel churning, is like the technology is good, I think, essentially. The idea that you can stream stuff on demand to your home does provide a potential additional revenue source for entertainment. Um, and it did feel like for a while there we're hitting a wall with paid on-demand stuff where like, for movies, it made sense to do, you know, six bucks for a shot is essentially, it's a little bit spendier than going to the video store used to be, but you can talk that to inflation almost. Um, mm-hmm. Where it made less sense, I think, is with TV, where you're paying two or three dollars an episode. And so if you've got, you know, a 13 episode series, suddenly you're paying nearly $40 just to watch a season of a TV show. Um, and I think that's where at least anecdotally for myself, you know, when I had a season pass to mad men because I didn't have cable when it was on the air and there wasn't a streaming model for yet. So you had to just like rent it next day that way. Um, but I was only doing it for mad men because I loved mad men. The idea of doing that for multiple series was like unimaginable to me. Um, but all of it to say is like, we have a good technology in place. It just does feel like there's potentially a better way to monetize it. And, a lot of it might just be going back to traditional models of like TV has ad- ads in it um, and movies you pay for, for each individual purchase. And it doesn't seem like that's such a bad way to go because it accords success differently for uh, any given project of like movies will make more if they're popular TV shows will get higher class ads or more expensive ads if they're popular. And that was essentially the model that existed as long as both mediums have existed. And it seemed like it was a pretty strong one to build on. Um, And I I think the biggest thing too is figuring out a way to diversify the options. Like the idea that you can only watch a lot of the stuff by subscribing to their individual uh, producers seems like the most unsustainable part of it. The idea that any Netflix movie will only ever exist on Netflix and you can't just go, like go out and check it out. You have to like sign up and give Netflix all of your credit card info and give them, you know, whatever other data they're mining from you along the way. Um, but there's no other way to watch this stuff um, is a big part of it. And honestly, I think a lot of this just comes back to making it easy. You have to make it easy for people to watch your stuff. Um, you know, it used to be, you just go out to the theater, see what's playing and, things that see things that way, or you flip on your TV and there would be whatever thing you want to watch. Um, the idea that you have to go through a sign up process to get any of this stuff. And the big joke a couple of years ago when uh, Coda won best picture was kind of gearing up for the Oscars is like, yeah, all our parents would love to watch it. How are they going to sign up for Apple TV plus? <laughs> like yeah. I barely know how to sign up for Apple TV plus because it's all tied up with like your Apple ID, which I have mm-hmm. because I bought a MacBook years ago or whatever. Um, it's, just, it's all way too complicated for something that should be making it as easy as possible. Yeah, that's true. I mean, with, with older people, for sure. Like I still think about like my, my father-in-law like loves Martin Scorsese and loves gangster movies, but has not seen the Irishman because yeah. he doesn't have Netflix and he's like not interested in, in learning how to, 
to 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 not only sign up for an account but how to get it onto his television and all that stuff like he he's not interested so he just watches tcm good for him yeah <laughs> um yeah i i don't i don't get like the draw of this model for anyone who isn't totally embedded in the culture and i think that's kind of what gave it like a little bit of a runway at the start is you had younger people at media outlets writing about this stuff who were kind of enthused about the idea and knew how to work through TVs well enough to get it all set up. Um, and so that created a lot of positive press for f- several years and which kind of cut out the ordinary audience. You need to prop up the stuff, you know, people make fun of like the CBS lineup, but that shit props up the industry, man, <laughs> like producing 22 episodes that people will watch year in and year yeah. out. Uh, that's a stable base to build everything else on. Uh, yeah, wait. Well, um, oh, I, I lost my train of thought um, about something that you said in there. Oh well. Um, yeah, uh, younger damn. writers writing about stuff. Um, I, I I I can't remember now. But, right. um, oh yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> what? So obviously, the writers are. You know, we we live in Los Angeles. We see them picketing outside of you know. Uh, Actually, I've Warner Brothers is the only one that I've driven past that actually seen picketers. But you you live, you know, closer to the heart of the industry. You probably yeah. see them Paramount at, and Netflix. At Paramount and, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um but uh so obviously that that we're talking about major studio films and stuff that are that are that are threatened, but uh I wonder what this means for um independent yeah cinema and 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 art house cinema and stuff like that that's a good question i don't entirely know the answer i do know that uh and this was especially heartbreaking for me as i started to list off the people involved but pavel pavlikovsky was due to shoot a movie with walking phoenix and i believe rooney mara um but the they couldn't get insurance because the insurance companies were spooked of the potential of an actor strike and they didn't want to bank on the project. And so, you know, maybe it'll happen down the line, maybe it won't, but that's the kind of like, that's the kind of the immediate effects is on independent mm-hmm. stuff. Um, studio projects can keep churning because there's a big enough machine keeping them running for a bit. Um, but independent stuff is very vulnerable to if an insurer backs out or if a financier gets spooked, um, that's it. And they're done. And there's not going to, you know, I, I mentioned at the top that Daredevil and the Penguin are shut down. I think those companies will bring those shows back. <laughs> those are big enough kind of profit drivers and uh, prestige. Well, no, prestige is the wrong word, but it's kind of like part of the profile of their products. Um, will another financier step up to finance the next Pavel Pavlikovsky movie and try to fit it into Walking Phoenix schedule? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that takes the hit, I think, first. Um, and we don't necessarily know the degree to which it's affecting those things because there's not as much publicity happening about independent projects as they gear up and gear down. Uh, yeah, I'm glad we've spent so much time talking about like the plight of the writers and, and the actors. Cause I didn't, I don't want to be one of those discussions. It's just like, what does it mean for me, the fan, right. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I remember like, uh, I think Tyler and I had this conversation with back when Disney bought Fox that people were like, Oh my God, the X-Men are going to be in the Marvel movies. And I was like, Oh my God, so many people are going to get laid off. Yeah. You know? um, so not to pat myself on the back, but so I'm glad we've been focusing on that. But um, 
for so long because now we can do a little bit of talking about like well you know what are the benefits or or um uh drawbacks for us as 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 watchers and and then certainly you mentioned all the shows that you've seen that like uh, uh suffered from the previous writer strike uh i mean for every positive story like um the famously like Aaron Paul's character was supposed to get killed off at the end of the first season of breaking bad. Right. And that didn't happen because of the strike. And then they decided they liked him and kept him around. Uh, but then you've also got like, um, a great show like Veronica Mars going out on such a weird whimper because, um, uh, because of the writer's strike, you've got more of, of, of those, um, I think daisies too, is the one that I always lament <clears throat> just got completely scuttled. Yeah. And then we, we, we went through a, similar version of this uh, with with covid with with shows like yeah. uh a, a favorite of yours and mine on becoming a god in central florida yeah being renewed for a second season and then unrenewed because of covid um that that sucks but uh so these but these 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 unions these are american unions is there a world in which one of the maybe upshots for us as consumers or, or fans is um, more robust importing of movies and TV shows from other countries. Oh, that's a good question. I wonder, because that's obviously that has genuinely taken off in the streaming era. And it's probably one of the few net positives is better importing of foreign, especially series, because like foreign films, there's been a market for those roughly, you know, to varying degrees for what, like, 80 years at the 60 years. I can't do math. Um, But uh, series have always been like unquestioned of like American audiences would never watch it. And part of it is understandable because like, what are you going to put subtitles on your 20 inch TV? It's just like, (laughs) it wouldn't be very viable now in the age of most people have, you know, most people who watch TV regularly have probably a 32 inch widescreen TV or larger. Um, and shows like Lost kind of provided a good runway for getting people used to the idea of watching sh- shows with subtitles in them. Um, yeah, but, now we've got like Squid Game was obviously yeah, exactly. like a huge show. And that's, although I think a lot of people are choosing to watch that dubbed, unfortunately. Oh, you, you could watch it dubbed or subtitled. I learned from my nephew. I didn't know that. Uh, well, I wonder, going back to the topic we've talked about on and off for months, are the young people watching it dubbed with subtitles <laughs> or- oh right yeah they probably are yeah um uh i keep losing my train of thought i had something about about that but now i've forgotten well one you're asking generally about like importing foreign stuff and one thing that was interesting is i think yesterday there was a worldwide uh strike of writers from countries all over the world kind of showing solidarity with uh, the american union um, not in a, such a way that's going to prevent anything from being produced in overseas or whatever, but I wonder the degree to which this kind of stuff is filtering down because I don't remember that kind of thing happening back in the 2007 strike of like suddenly global support. And a lot of this is due to shifts in technology, you know, Twitter didn't exist then. And so we didn't have the same means of mass communication, um, that's kind of kept the strike on at the fore yeah. of the conversation, for so long technically it did i just it, twitter technically is like this since 2006 but i don't remember any i like i signed up for oh, my first really? account in 2008 yeah 2008 for some reason i have locked in as the year that i like think of twitter starting but i guess it yeah. probably would have had to exist before then um 
anyway, definitely not to the degree it does now yeah, yeah. and has spurred much more conversation around. I saw too today that uh, the unionized strippers of Los Angeles also went on strike in solidarity, um, which is great. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I mean, less fun, but uh, part of the layoffs has affected tons of janitorial staff at all the studios. And so the janitorial union uh, showed up at the picket lines today to kind of show solidarity because tons of people in that field have gotten laid off as well. That's that I, I love. I mean, I'm going to be a uh, uh, emotional liberal, but I love that solidarity that mm-hmm. the, the unions aren't saying aren't the unions aren't blaming one another for the, for the issue. They're all, they're all sticking together, you know, and, uh, the writers have been like strategic in shutting down productions because I think like to officially have a picket line, you just need two people. Right. Yeah, I think so. And so, um, and, and teamsters might not be on strike, but they're not their union and they're not going to cross picket lines. So, you know, you'd send, you get two people at a location where they're shooting the penguin or whatever, and they could shut down production for a day. Um, uh, I love that. I don't think that protest isn't meant to, I'm not saying it should be violent, but protest is not meant to be super civil. Yeah. It, it is meant to be disruptive. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely glad that's working. Yeah. As far as like the unions kind of working together, I think everyone is really suspicious of whatever the DGA is up to right now, because they kind of have that tentative agreement in place that they're currently in the process of voting to ratify and which but their members still have to vote for it. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They're in the process of okay. ratifying it, yeah. um, which I think the voting set to conclude on the 23rd. So after this episode posts, um, but I'll be curious to see how that, that goes down because a lot of the language that has gotten out there doesn't seem super promising in terms of actually getting the kind of changes that need to happen um, for the industry to continue to thrive in the years to come. Um, but a lot of people are saying that there's so much below the line, uh, membership within the DGA in terms of like assistant directors. And there's some other field that's, um, accounted for in the director's bill that I can't remember, mm-hmm. but, um, a lot of those people are just kind of eager to get back to work and eager to sign whatever deal will get them there. Um, which is too bad because there's a lot in there around, especially AI that's not going to protect their jobs in the next few years. Um, uh, but we'll see. Not going to protect director's jobs or assistant director's jobs? Assistant director's jobs because, um, you know, I mean, AI right now, I I think is laughable. It's not very useful to actually accomplish anything. It's more of just like generating, uh, you know, the writers are rightfully calling it kind of a plagiarism technology because it can generate stuff based on what it's fed, but it's not very uh, intelligent. The, The eye is not really working, but it's easy to see how you could develop that towards a point where you could have AI build schedules out, which is a huge job of the system directors do. Um, right. And so maybe that's not going to affect your first AD who needs to be on set to wrangle extras and help keep the set running, but your second and third, that's where you start to like lose jobs um, to yeah. technology. I don't know, I'm, I'm just picturing the robot from iRobot, like wrangling extras. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just Alan Tudyk. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I forgot that was him. Yep. He's everywhere. His early attempt to be uh, America's, um, that shit, Andy Circus. Andy Circus, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, luckily I have not yet been put in a position of um, crossing a picket line. Um, I've never in my life crossed a picket line. It hasn't come up that often, but like, has it come up otherwise... at all? Uh, what's that? So it has come up before. Um, 
not on this strike, but I remember once like just being home in St. Louis um, is actually when I went home to St. Louis, when my dad died, the, all the grocery store workers were on strike. And so like, you know, I was having to get a lot of like food and drinks and stuff for, you know, for that. And I was like, yeah, paying more to go get them at like little convenience stores or gas stations or something like that. Cause I just like, wasn't going to cross a picket line. Oh, also once Natalie and I had a trip to Chicago booked for my 30th birthday. And then we found out that the hotel we had booked the, the hotel, there was a strike there. And so we switched to a different hotel. So I have made decisions before. Um, I mean, Right now I'm worried, I, you know, I don't talk about where I work, but it, you know, it's clear that I, I make it clear that I work in the industry. Um, and, uh, so far there have not been strikers at my work, uh, which is, which is good because I also know that like, um, the, my employer has been very firm about like, if you're supposed to be here, you're supposed to be here right. ever since, ever since the return to office. So like, um, you know, it, it, there would be a decision I would have to make if they, if they showed up, um, at, at my work. Um, but, uh, so far it hasn't come up. Here's a question. This is just, just a question that I thought of. Sure. Cause, um, same company I work for now, but our old building was in an office building with a bunch of other offices, right? Yeah. Now let's say there's strikers, like there's there's picketers right and they're picketing one of the the yeah. the, the the residents of that <laughs> office building but you work at a little like i don't know uh uh insurance tax firm, firm that has yeah. two yeah tax firm that has two offices on the second floor is that i know it physically is crossing a picket line but is that in spirit is that crossing a picket line to go to work when you're not the thing that they're picketing i wouldn't say so okay. um I would maybe like shout at them on the way and be like, I'm just an attorney or whatever. But yeah. um, <laughs> I guess that could be anything. You could w- still work for the entertainment company. Um, but uh, some sort of clarifying remark. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, listeners are short one review of extraction two from this website because uh, I, I didn't want to go into Netflix's offices the other day this week um, because yeah. this, the strike was strong and they had like a kind of reserved gate set up, but I was like, eh, the vibes are off. I don't, yeah. uh, I don't love the feeling of this. So uh, I, I went back home. Fortunately, I live right around the corner from Netflix. So it was not a far drive to make that decision. And as I was yeah. heading over, I was but like, now you haven't seen this. extraction too. I know. And I, I never will because I canceled my Netflix subscription in an effort to save money. Oh, um, yeah, I definitely have too many subscriptions, but I'm, um, I can afford it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> right now. Yeah. yeah. While, while I was employed, it was like, eh, whatever. Now it's like, eh, it turned out I wasn't watching that much Netflix. It was like a few new girl uh, reruns for me from here and there, oh, but okay. uh, nothing really now, active. I'll bring it back. Seinfeld's to the on season, Netflix but, now. Well, I've got t- seven seasons on DVD, baby, and they're in the right aspect okay. ratio. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, you're right. I also have all the seasons on on DVD. Um, yeah, uh, there are certain subscriptions that I like. I, I very rarely use my Ovid subscription, but I'm also like so behind what Ovid is doing that I'm like, yeah, I see it as like I'm supporting them, you know? 
Uh, yeah, my, my Criterion Channel subs- subscription will be the last to fall if it ever does. Um, but I'm st- I still have that. I still got uh, HBO Max. I've kept Hulu. I think, I think it's just Max. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've kept Hulu because that's tied in with Spotify. It's like ten bucks a month for both. Um, but uh, yeah, Netflix was an easy chop. I'll bring it back for the fall season when they've got. Uh, I don't know. Is the David Fincher movie coming out this fall? I think it is. I don't know. Um, they got some good shit in the fall. Um. Yeah, I keep doing that. I something something you just said got me thinking about something, and now I don't remember what it was. Oh well. I don't know where, I'm, where my brain is today. On strike. I'll bet it. Yeah, I bet it was really good. Whatever I was going to say was definitely really, really good. Um, oh, I was going to complain about Max because everyone else has complained about Max. Okay. And like a lot of people like complained about the process. Like it is silly that I had to like download, download a, a second app. app yeah. But they by the time I did, I waited to do it because yeah. So by the time I did it, it was actually very easy i was able to follow a link from within hbo max to get to max and yeah it already it already remember where i was with everything but here's the thing that's that's stupid about max that hbo max wasn't doing natalie and i are watching the sopranos again sure. okay and we're in season two and so now if i finish an episode of season two it starts auto playing the next episode but what it's doing that HBO Max wasn't doing is it's auto playing from where I left off the last time we watched it years ago, meaning what? it's starting every episode with the end credits. And I keep having to go back and start every episode from the beginning. It, it does it with every single episode because we've watched all of Sopranos on HBO Max before. That's really it's, weird. It's so stupid. There must be some like code thing missing because like when I've watched stuff all the way through or at least up to the credits, and then maybe I want to watch it again or more often I'll like try to remember what a scene was like or something if I'm writing a review or just for year end stuff or whatever else, it will just kick me back to the beginning. Cause it's like, Oh, he got back. He got to the credits. He finished the thing. That's it. Yeah. And that's um, what HBO max did, but max is not doing it. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, my petty beef with uh, max, uh, because obviously there's more substantial beefs. Like they're just taking- like a guy we don't like. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. There's more substantial beefs where like they're taking tons of stuff off um, mm. and they're not crediting the people behind it correctly, all that kind of stuff. My, but my petty beef with them is they used to have a very robust section of like things that are leaving the service at the end of the month and it lists everything. They took that section away and now it's just like a tiny little scroll section that you get to the end, but it's only like 20 things. And I'm like, I know there's more stuff coming off at the end of the month but I don't know what, so I don't know what to prioritize for my, my watching here. Um, so that that's my petty beef. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I sometimes with that stuff disappearing, I'm like, I'm bummed about it, but also like I became a TV fan when before everything was just available all the time. So I kind of like, I remember that feeling and it doesn't feel as drastic to me. But, but I that's guess that's me being an old, I guess. Yeah, I, generally I'm with you. And I'm not of the opinion that like all this stuff needs to be accessible forever. I think that's kind of an unsustainable expectation that people have of the streaming era. Um, but again, a little heads up, put it in the section at the beginning of the month. Yeah. It's like at the end of the month, the stuff is going away. I'm like, fair enough. I will try to blitz through as much of Space Ghost Coast to Coast, which just got removed today, middle of the night. Very uh, displeased with that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we covered it. I think we solved it. 
obviously, yeah, obviously. Hopefully, they'll the 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 studios will come to their those their fat senses. cats can listen to this and take a note. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, so you can find uh, you can't find any reviews of Extraction Two, but you can find uh, Scott's been pumping out a lot of reviews uh, lately. Not the uh, time at, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, at battleshipretention.com. Uh, you can email me at david at battleshippretension.com you can follow me on twitter at davy pretension like i said check out my other podcast the one where i met your mother which i do with my wife natalie uh that's a battleship pretension if you want to find it there uh oh yeah letterboxd david Bax. uh scott where can people find you yeah on twitter at rail of tomorrow um got reviews up at battleship pretension for the blackening and asteroid city both of which are now playing at least decently wide. I I think Asteroid City is right now in New York, LA, but it's playing like a lot of LA theaters. It's not mm. just like those one or two screens that they used to. So I don't know if it's playing in other cities too in a couple of theaters, but at any rate, um, I'm sure it'll be around soon. Um, so yeah, I got reviews of those two. Um, I don't have any other screenings on the docket, but I'm keeping an eye out for those. And then Letterboxd, you can keep up with all my 90s random catch-ups. Uh, yeah. I just saw the Jason, Jennifer Jason Lee movie, Georgia. That's a hell of a picture. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, wait, but you do have one screening on the docket. Don't do? you? Oh, your most anticipated movie yeah. of the summer. That's in like two weeks. I kind of forgot about it. I was thinking about like yeah. the next week ahead of me, but yeah, yeah. I, I, it sounds, looks like I'll be seeing mission possible early about which I am. I was going to say disproportionately excited, but there's no proportion that would be dis. It's all proportionate to <laughs> how, how excited I am for it. Right. Well, I will look forward to that review. Um, in the meantime, thank you for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.